This week on the Veterinary Viewfinder, CBD in pets. We've got an expert to clarify all your confusion about CBD. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles at least most of the tough topics in veterinary medicine. And this week, we got a kind of a tough topic, I think at least, because there's a lot of confusion around CBD. It is everywhere. It's showing up at grocery stores, at pet stores. Heck, groomers are selling it out of the back of their truck. This week, we're going to talk to the founder and president of Phytoanimal Health, Ian Quinn, to get all the real information out that you need to know. But before we get into all of that, as always, I am your host, Dr. Ernie Ward. I'm Dr. Cindy Courtney. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And this week, we are super stoked to have the founder of Fido Animal Health, a Southern California company devoted to dispelling myths about CBD and bringing the best products to our veterinary patients. And so I am really, really excited. You know, if you don't know who Ian Quinn is, please go check out phytoanimalhealth.com. And you really want to find out more about Dante, the service dog. (laughs) He's really cool. But Ian, thank you so much for joining us on the Veterinary Viewfinder today. Hey, thank you for having me, guys. It's a great opportunity to share the message and vision of Phyto Animal Health with your audience. So thank you. Well, Ian, I've been following you for several years. And the first thing I'd like for you to share with our audience is, how were you CBD before CBD was cool? <laughs> Absolutely. So I uh, first became a big advocate of cannabidiol CBD when my best friend Dante and I started volunteering at the VA. This was about four years ago. And these were transitional housing programs. They were helping to get fellow veterans off the streets, off opiates, drugs, and alcohol, and rehabilitate them back into society. It was during this time that I started to um, investigate CBD for myself because of a traumatic brain injury. And uh, we started utilizing this within the program, and we were doing anger management, meditation, things like that, using cognitive behavioral therapy methods. And at this time, we found CBDB, uh, CBD to be extremely beneficial uh, to the physical and mental and emotional well-being of these veterans. And so um, it literally in my first class teaching, uh, Dante was floating around saying hi to everybody. I, I just thought he was being a dog. I did not know he had a particular skill. And um, by the end of the class, there was a a veteran with just anger coming off of him. His hands were crossed. His body language just said he didn't want to be there. And by the end of class, Dante's in his lap. This guy is smiling and he's having a good time. And I was just about to approach him when two other veterans turn around and go, hey, man, are you having a moment? You're 180 difference now. And he said, yeah, I was actually just about to scream at you guys and leave with your dog reminding me I'm home and I'm safe. And they all looked at me. How'd you train your dog to do that, Ian? I was like, wow. Well, he's canine good citizen. I had no idea that, that was a skill. And so I uh, actually went back to my primary physician and had him uh, certified then as my service animal. And um, I then went back to the veterans or the, excuse me, the veterinarians I knew in my actual sales job. And I told them what I was seeing with cannabidiol. And I told him, you know, my best friend Dante here, he suffers from hip dysplasia, being a pit bull. And so by age three, his mobility was very limited. Getting up and down stairs was not happening without me carrying him. And also being a rescue from a shelter, he had really bad separation anxiety. And so if I didn't bring him with me to the office or travel, he would eat through my entire drywall. He went wow. through a, a wire crates. He went through a metal crate with bars. It uh, looked like you can hold a chimpanzee in him. And then uh, <laughs> breaking most of his teeth, I ended up then getting a 
a crate that we use in search and rescue. And um, he broke almost all his teeth getting out of that. Wow. So with the anxiety, with the pain, he never wanted to eat. You'd see every bone in his body. In fact, I could, when I rescued him, I saw his entire spinal column. And so, you know, I explained what I was seeing with the humans and the veterinarians I knew said, Ian, you're going to see the same benefit. Just make sure you're careful of high concentrations of THC Delta 9 the psychoactive molecule right. you know, for humans. We have a good time with it. Some people don't, some people <laughs> do. Uh, however, for animals, it's not very good. It's very not tolerated. Uh, though it takes high dosage to kill them, they just don't an, uh, do well with analgesics and psychoactives like we do. And so it turned out in my backyard, there was a company that started the whole CBD craze before anybody even knew what it was. And that's Medical Marijuana Inc. MMI or MJNA yep. as it's publicly traded. I've uh, been around for 10 years. So I knew they had the quality control measures and things like that. And when I came down and I talked to them, they were the only company I'd spoken with willing to show me a certificate of analysis, otherwise known <laughs> as a COA. And this was years ago when just nobody would show you right. those, but these guys did. And so I knew right away I had a hemp-based CBD product, not a marijuana-based, and I knew I could move forward safely. I uh, started playing with some uh, different recipes for Dante and created this uh, bacon apple donut in my kitchen. Uh, he's got skin issues, so it had to be gluten, corn, soy, wheat, and pretty much almost ingredient-free. <laughs> and, um, you know, within a few days, I, I noticed several things improving for him. And so uh, I started sharing then with family and friends whose animals had other uh, disorders and diseases, you know, from seizure disorders to cancer to all types of things. And they all got back to me very quickly, just letting me know that they were thankful for the support and the help and that many of the animals were responding positively. Uh, we saw extensions of life in some of the cancer patients. And so I went back to the veterinarians and I told them what I was doing and the results. And they said, Ian, what are you doing? Well, what do you guys mean? What am I doing? You, you help guide me. They said, no, 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 no. Why are you still uh, working for somebody else? Uh, Why don't you start your own company? You have a product, you have a solution and you really care. Yep. And uh, I said, guys, you know, I'm from the South side of Chicago. I've got traumatic brain injury. My mom, my mom's a nurse, dad was a steel worker. I don't have the money. And they said, yeah, but there's people out there that do. They have the resources. You're resourceful. Go make it happen. Here we are. And I'm so fascinated to hear. So in those early days when you reached out to those veterinarians and they were, were talking to you some about that kind of molecular physiology, where were they getting that information from at, at that time? Because I think even now so many veterinary medical professionals, you know, don't feel like they have access to good research on that information um, and, and aren't, aren't sure where to get good uh, physiologic uh, peer-reviewed peer research. So, so where, how are they guiding you at that point? Cindy, he is, he is in Southern California, so there's a lot of self-experimentation that's been happening ah. out there for the past 50 <laughs> years. But anyway, go on, Ian. No, that, that's, ex that's exactly it. You know, there's um, actually a lot more misinformation out there than there's actual clinical information. And that's the biggest challenge. And as you start to sort through these things and you find out what's real, what's not, um, the clinical data that's there, the scientific data is astounding. And so when we look at the pharmacological actions of non-psychotropic cannabinoids, non-THC cannabinoids, uh, several things have already been discovered that goes back all the way to the 60s, 
right? Because remember, we're peeling back years and layers of propaganda and lies right. against a God-given plant that's been here before we have and used to be a medicine and so many other things in this country before prohibition. And so the data is there. And you even today with data being published, it's still hard to get a hold of. We want to ask the AVMA, why will they not publish the Cornell University data? I mean, that's brand new scientific data that shows efficacy and safety, and it shows how CBD is beneficial for geriatric dogs with osteoarthritis. Why will they not publish that data? How about the Colorado University data on epilepsy and pain? And we're even involved in additional clinical studies on both those aspects with our products because the research has been done. It's continually being done. And um, that's another benefit of MMI, Medical Marijuana Inc. They have an education uh, nonprofit called Echo Connection. And echoconnection.org has well over 30,000 different cataloged uh, clinical studies on cannabis. And by catalog, I mean it's put down by A to Z. Do you want to look up clinical data on Alzheimer's, on addiction, on behavior, on cancer, on dementia? You name it, A to Z. It's cataloged that way and on their website. And that's from human models and animal models. Again, the data's there. Yeah, the data is there, and it's also about timing. I mean, look, we went it through is. a black hole. You know, this was vilified for, you know, the past four decades at least. Uh, and, and honestly, this all goes back to money. This goes back to yes. competing with cotton. I mean, if you want to know why there isn't this bigger hemp industry in the United States, just go look at the story of cotton versus hemp. So this goes way, way back. But regardless, Ian, let, let's fast forward. Let's not focus on the bad stuff in the past, all the misguided legislation and regulations. Let's focus on where we are today. And, and you're right. Right now, we are still in a bit of a controversial time because, like you said, Colorado State, Cornell have done some very good, elegant scientific studies, and it's not getting out there. Uh, so what do you think the first thing that the veterinary profession needs to do as far as waking up to where CBD is heading? Because look, with Epidiolex being approved last year by the FDA, I mean, the human medical field is just blazing a trail in front of us. So how do we catch up? Absolutely. And, you know, that's a great question to ask because the way we catch up is by educating ourselves, getting out there, talking to the different uh, clinical research groups and different ad advocacy groups about these products. You know, right now, people joke and they like to say that, you know, animals taking cannabis are getting high. And, right. you know, we even like to make those jokes. And it's, you know, we're just, it's not appropriate, quite frankly, because uh, it only confuses people that much more. And exactly. the good news is the data is out there and consumers are constantly being uh, bombarded by false information and good information. They're going to be bringing this data into your hospital, talk to you about it, talk to your staff about it. So we need to dig in and do some research of our own, but we have to know that what we're looking at, what is real and what is not. And so the first thing uh, we really want to educate ourselves on in this industry, particularly if we're going to start talking about this in our practice is what's the difference between a marijuana product, a hemp product, and then What's the difference between a human manufactured product and an animal product? Because there are differences between the, the products. We know that marijuana is going to be high in a, a sensitive chemical, THC, that's restricted and you could lose your medical license for. But then hemp is, does not have that. It's not Controlled Substance Act listed. But we also know if I make products and edibles and things out of this, uh, what about the sweeteners and all the weird things that humans put in their foods that are toxic to animals? Well, that's where knowing what's marijuana, what's hemp, what's a human company, what's an animal company. And we're going to want to focus on hemp-based uh, phytocannabinoids that are focused on animal-exclusive products. 
not just simply white labeling from the human side. I don't know how many times I've been at trade shows and I've had people, hey, can I give your dog, my, do my, my dog Dante, can I give him one of these gummies? Well, are you seriously trying to hand my dog a gummy bear? <laughs> oh, it's, it's sorbitol. Thank you. No, thank you. And so right there, it's really important that we look at those. Uh, and veterinarians, you guys already know that. Um, you're very particular about how you recommend products and supplements like glucosamine and um, you know, CoQ10 and things like that, fish oils. So we just have to become just as educated on those. And quite frankly, all those products, CBD can replace or be used as an adjunct and position. And, and so just to clarify, so the, the FDA uh, did provide an additional statement because obviously, you know, we, we've talked about in this podcast before trying to, you know, read the defining statement of, you know, what that that DEA statement is about, like what is marijuana and what is illegal. But they, they did provide a clarifying statement that did highlight that CBD was still considered DEA Schedule 1. So I, I just want to clarify for our audience there that um, I think that's one of the reasons that we as veterinarians are still so confused and, and cautious about discussing these products with our clients um, is, is because of that statement. What she's referring to, as you know, but for our audience's sake, you know, it's late December. There was a, a second statement made by the FDA saying, you know, look, here's where CBDs lie in the marketplace. And maybe you could explain to our audience in, in as simple terms as possible, like what your interpretation of that last FDA statement on CBD is about. For sure. Absolutely. That's very important. And that's actually why we're members with the National Animal Supplement Council, NASC. Uh, Bill Bookout and the team over yep. there are really particular in working with the FDA and as well as state regulators on how to change their laws and make sure that we're not missing this great opportunity for everybody involved, be it the consumer. And let me just jump in and give a vote of confidence to Bill Bookout. If you don't know who this guy is, he is an amazing individual. I've been fortunate enough to yes. know him for nearly 20 years. And, and he takes this very seriously. And, and look, uh, you need to understand that people behind the scenes are actually trying to guide this profession forward uh, ethically, safely, and of course, abiding by all laws. So sorry about that, Ian, but just Bill book out. Like I'm, there are a lot of organizations where I'm super skeptical about the leadership, but Bill is certainly the right person at the right time in the right place. Sorry about that. No, I thank you for jumping in on there and giving him that endorsement because that's 100% true. That's how we make sure we do this right, safe, efficacious, and we're not going to hurt anybody. We're also not putting ourselves in as legal jeopardy. So, you know, the laws change constantly. They change from day to day, it seems like, now that the hemp bill has changed. But even then, it was constantly, you're always having to stay on top of the legal legalities. And that's one of the nice things with, you know, my parent company. They've been at this game for such a long time. They've been intimately involved at the legislation level to help these things happen. Now, one of the things we understand is that when we look at how CBD and other phytocannabinoids are, are processed, right, we can either create... Um, isolated molecules, right? And in this case, that's really what the FDA is talking about. Are you isolating these molecules and making your isolated products? Or is this just naturally occurring molecules? Is it just naturally rich full plant, right? right? And so that's really where the difference is because you can regulate hemp 
but hemp is going to naturally have phytocannabinoids in it and trace amounts of it. So there's no way to really truly replace it and get out of it. This is where I think a lot of the confusion lies. So as we reported last year, the FDA approved the first cannabinoid medication for human use. Okay, so there's now prescription drug for limited use and a certain type of, of juvenile onset epilepsy called Epidiolex. And now the FDA said, look, since we've already approved an isolate of the cannabinoid group, then everything else that's an isolate would also be subject to FDA regulation. Is that correct, Ian? But the whole plant, that's kind of, now this is a whole nother thing. You're correct. So that's really how the FDA sees things. And so when we start isolating things out, just like we did with, like they did with the epidolics, if we took that now and made it an ingredient for foods, well, now you really are subject to the food side of the FDA. Right. And there's another approval process there. And so that's why it is critical to follow what Bill Bookout and NASC is saying. And this way you, you maintain your ability to sell on the shelves, but also then to be recommended, depending on the state, by veterinarians. You know, because that's really a really interesting thing about this. It, it really depends on where where are you? What state are you in? Is it a ultra liberal, liberal state that has medical marijuana uh, or recreational marijuana laws? Well, obviously, there's going to be less issues legality wise. But maybe you're in a state that's very conservative. And we know traditionally, veterinary medicine can be fairly conservative. And so we <laughs> want to look at that. And then that's going to come down to because of where I'm at how I talk about it, how I write it down in my, um, in my charts and medical records, all of that's got to be looked at. Again, kind of going back to earlier statement, why it's so important to do your research, to look at how can I talk about these things. But the nice part is also then partnering with the right companies that have ethics and values and are looking at it from a standpoint of not just money, but more importantly, how can I have a positive impact on the medical needs of animals, but also the financial business of the veterinarians? Because um, that's one thing that's particular to me I don't understand currently. Like in California, uh, veterinarians with AB 2215 uh, can uh, now recommend, they can write down directions, they can even say which types of products, but they can't sell it or use <laughs> it, which is strange because I know plenty of other doctors who've made their own products and sell it and use it out of their practices with no ramifications. But why would you allow them to do all the education and all the clinical lifting, but not benefit financially? See, to me, that doesn't make any sense. In fact, that's antitrust. Yeah, and I, I think you you play on a very important point, and, and I think the, the most important point for me, and the reason I was really excited to have you on today is because, you know, this is happening with or without us as the veterinary yes. industry, and I think that that's part of, uh, you know, my biggest concern is when clients come into the clinic, it is a conversation that they want to have, and I don't feel like the tools are being put in our toolbox to have these conversations, to know how to have them with our clients, and to have them in an educated way where we're not literally just sending them to Dr. Google or we're doing the same thing that we've been fighting for years. And so um, my favorite thing to ask our guests is give me your top three. Where are the top three places we should be sending veterinary professionals to get good information, not even about how to use them, but how to talk to their clients, how these uh, cannabinoids are going to be interacting with the drugs that their clients might be using and being able to be on top of the science and know that they're getting it from a reliable source. Absolutely. And the good news about that for veterinarians and technicians looking for quality uh, education and information, there are organizations out there like vet, uh, veterinarycannabis.org. They actually have a certification process for technicians, for doctors and assistants. 
to know how to talk about these products, right? You know, uh, we also do provide with Phyto Animal Health um, lots of guidance, uh, be it how do we record this in our patient medical records, uh, how do we discuss this with our patients, um, and, and that goes down to a state that might say you can't even discuss it, right? Um, so we've got to give people options so they're not putting themselves at risk. But for like states that say um, you can talk about it, let's say like California, one of the best things is to first, when you are writing things into your charts and medical records, is you want to make specific statements, right? And these statements we discussed endocannabinoid system support and supplementation, right? We talked about how to measure uh, other qualities and other products against each other to see who was safe and efficacious. We talked about certificates of analysis. You know, we're talking about very specifics that help reduce the effect of harm to their clients and their patients. Because you're right, there's so much misinformation out there. Dr. Google does not have the answers. Um, someone might read one thing that says, oh, marijuana is totally safe for pets. Sweet. Yeah. Goes to a human dispensary, right. buys a human-grade edible, and oh, oops, I killed my dog. And it may be, oh, night, no. Now, it probably yeah. wasn't the THC. Cause I think, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's probably not the THC because I think it's like nine grams per kilogram <laughs> to yes. actually kill it's an massive. animal. It's massive. It's massive. Yeah. I mean... That would kill Willie Nelson. So, yes. so, so, you know, at that rate, it's probably the other things in the products, you know. But point taken. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, I, that is so helpful. And again, I think so many of us are just striving for that baseline to know where to start and, and to know how to do it in the right way. Um, my husband makes fun of me, and I think we've joked on this podcast about just what a rule follower I am and how straight edge I am, but I'm also epileptic, and it you know, really hurts my heart when I have a client come in that has, you know, an epileptic pet and they're asking me questions about CBD products. And I don't feel comfortable knowing what the status is of its legality in my state. And so for those of us who are out there who say, this is ridiculous, this, you know, we, we have some data behind this, we would like more, even more data behind this. What can we do to advocate for changing the laws in our state or on a national level, um, are there any resources that you would recommend or that you would kind of guide uh, medical professionals to reaching out for to, to kind of engage in that advocacy? Absolutely. And that is get involved politically. Make sure you get out and vote, but make sure you get involved with the actual politics of your state. You know, uh, Dr. Jeffrey Powers of the AVMA, he was one of their um, chairmen on the their cannabis task force. I was intimately involved with helping to change the laws and write the new laws in Michigan, not only so that veterinarians could talk about it, recommend it, but also prescribe it, use it in practice and sell it. Because with an opiate shortage that we have today, um, cannabis and cannabidiol becomes a great option for analgesia and analgesic needs. Um, and he was particularly about that. So advocate, get involved. But here's the thing, nevertheless, right? In some states, whether you can sell it or not, we have to look at how is it registered? And if we go to any of these states and we go to like Whole Foods or Trader Joe's and any of these type of retailers, we're gonna find plenty of hemp seed, hemp oil, and different infused ingredients for humans. And we're gonna find it for animals too, because we have to remember these are over, these are over the counter. These are not prescribed, right? So just like we sell, other over-the-counter medications and vitamins and supplements, uh, we could be doing the same thing here. And, you know, despite any restrictive policies and, you know, legal ramifications that potentially could be there, 
there's not one case where a veterinary selling hemp-based products has lost their license. Not one. And I think that's important. And as a veterinarian who, when I first got out into practice, was working with a holistic veterinarian who felt very strongly about making sure that they were recommending high quality nutraceuticals and and, um, herbal supplements to their patients, um, we understand the importance of of what we're putting in our patients' bodies. Because just because something is natural doesn't always necessarily mean that it's safe. And, And so what guidelines would you um, kind of steer people toward in addition to the the resources you've lined out earlier about what standards they should be looking for to make sure that the products that clients are getting are not just necessarily some random brand of hemp oil off of their whole foods shelf. And, and Ian, this is where that NASC seal yeah. becomes important to me because, exactly. you know, this is getting back to that whole thing about like which uh, DHA or EPA supplement do I recommend? I mean, my check down default answer is, hey, does it have the NASC seal on it? So talk a little bit about where NASC is headed with their CBD approval process because I know it's, well, you can tell them. <laughs> no problem. So selecting a medical cannabis product and a CBD product is, is is a challenge and not only be it for the consumer the veterinarian um, but also for the retailers who are selling these products right because if you go on to amazon right now amazon says you can't sell cbd products yet they're selling hundreds right, of different right. white labeled cbd products so you're right the first is nasc are they members first off that's important yep, because that's even if they're step. not certified as long as they're members means they're at least following some guidelines they're trying to do the best they can because currently NASC does not certify CBD right. products but they will certify hemp products right right because they have plenty of them so follow the certified good agricultural and good manufacturing practices two different things but come together to make superior products so then when we follow those right rules we follow NASC and we follow their labeling requirements and their quality control requirements and things standing operating procedure requirements then we see that okay now we've got the NASC their members maybe they're certified or not because they're still going through the process now how do I judge because right now nobody has that well then we have to look at their certificate of analysis like I mentioned earlier the COA And this should be a third-party independent laboratory that analyzes everything of the plant, not just so much about what's in it, but also about what's not in it, right? What's in it? We want to look at phytocannabinoid profile. A high level of cannabidiol indicates the CBD is there and it's nice and high. We want to also take a look at what are the terpenes and the flavonoids that are in it. Well, those are good. But we also want to look at what's not in the product. And so a good COA, like Phytoanimal Health, is a five-page COA. This will include the elemental analysis. This will also tell us what country it's coming from, because that's important. Not everybody follows the same agricultural practices, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to look at, uh, one, it'll have a picture of the product with a batch number and a lot number. That way, that'll tie into the labels into the product itself, too. But it'll also have pathological examination, pesticide, fungicide uh, analysis, and microbes. We want to make sure there's nothing nasty like E. coli, salmonella, or anything like that. And so that certificate of analysis is not just a one-page branded certificate. It's a five-page third-party independent analysis. And um, you know, last year, there, were, there was a company in California that was falsifying these documents. Wow, what a horrible thing you can do to really taint the uh, image of the market. But there are companies like Proverde, over on the East Coast, they've been doing this for years, have yep. great quality control, and uh, not only that, transparency. 
If a company's not willing to be transparent with any of this data, no way. No COA, no way. Walk away. Right. I think that's really good advice. And, and I think that if you're a veterinarian or a veterinary technician out there today listening, you know, there are companies, I mean, Phyto Animal Health happens to be one of them, but there are, are a growing number of companies that are doing this right. And so, you know, Ian, I'm, I am incredibly optimistic. Like, you know, I went from the only article I ever wrote that was actually redacted by the publisher was nearly 10 years ago on the use of CBD in animals, because at that time it was super contentious. Even when I ran for state Senate here in North Carolina in 2014, Becky, that was an issue. They brought up against me. Oh, this dude's all for pot, you know, and I was for medical marijuana. So the tide is turning. If you're listening today, get involved, contact your state veterinary medical board, say, hey, what's the rule here? What do you think I should do? They're probably going to say, I don't know, but you need to at least start that conversation so that somebody who is saying they don't know today might try to get an answer for the whole industry or community tomorrow. Yeah. And I love that our our code of veterinary ethics guides us. If you do feel like the laws as they exist aren't in the best interest of our patients, that it is one of our professional duties to um, work to help change those laws. So... And, and I super appreciate having the tools to know how to have the conversations with our clients because they're going to come up. And so being able to do the research, just like we ask our clients to do, uh, to get the right information into your hands and, and to make sure, you're, you know, you're getting the truth. Because like you said, there's a lot more mistruth out there than anything. So, Ian, just to sort of wrap up today, give me this one answer. Uh, if you're a veterinarian listening today, is it OK to, one, talk about CBD usage in a patient, a pet patient? Yes, it is. Yes. For most states, it's actually being codified. As you mentioned, California actually passed a specific legislation last year that said, hey, vets, you can talk about it. You can put it in the medical record and so forth. And as Ian pointed out, so presciently, no vet has lost their license around this topic at all. Number two, is there evidence that CBD is beneficial to certain patients for certain conditions? Absolutely. Yes. In fact, that's the nice thing of looking at the data that's there, right? Because results from the pharmacokinetic uh, and safety efficacy studies conducted at Colorado State University and Cornell, these were published last year, they show the efficacy and safety of CBD-rich products being generally safe and effective for very specific conditions. And they looked at pain related to osteoarthritis. Now, Colorado State is continuing studies on efficacy of CBD for epilepsy and chronic pain. And Phytoanimal Health, we are studying CBD in cats, dogs, and horses for acute pain, inflammation-related diseases, uh, more autoimmune disorders, and anxiety. So we're continuing to gather that data because we have to. Because when we look at what's there, we see so many potential uses for autoimmune disorders because in really high concentration of CBD, it can suppress the immune system. I think that's what it did for my mom and her rheumatoid arthritis. So she's a nurse practitioner and she, she guinea pigged herself doing her blood labs. And for years, her C-reactive protein, that one biomarker in the blood lab has always shown extremely high elevated. After a year and a half of CBD, it's now normal. And there's been no change to anything else in her plan other than that. And so we know it's a, an immunosuppressive. But we also know it helps with neurological diseases and emotional disorders. That's what I saw with the veterans with PTSD and traumatic brain injuries because it's an anxiolytic, and that's why we see it helps with animals responding to loud noises. Um, it's an antipsychotic. That's why many of the veterans I worked with report back to me that they don't have as many psychotic uh, suicidal thoughts anymore. It's a neuroprotective. It's a broad vasodilator, bronchial dilator. So that's why we also see cardiac and respiratory support. I've seen so many horses 
with COPD and the heaves dramatically improve the respiratory health. A bronchiodilator, it's powerful inflammation capability as we saw with osteoarthritis from the Cornell data. But there's even things coming out on kidney disease, cancer, <laughs> all of this. So yes, 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 it is extremely beneficial for several different conditions and diseases, but it's also ideal just for overall health wellness and optimizing the endocannabinoid system to help maintain homeostasis of the body. It's our temperature check. All right. I'm sold. So to review, you can talk about it. There is a growing body of evidence that supports its clinical usage. And then the final question I'd like to ask you just to sum it all up, are there legitimate products on the market? And I know you're biased. This is probably the worst person to ask this question. <laughs> but in addition to your company, which is sort of the best in class, I mean, are there legitimate products that vets can be confident recommending to their clients? Yes, absolutely. There are other companies out there and companions in this space, right? There is really important that people understand that this is a real legitimate market, that there are more than just one company out there. Phytoanimal Health, yes, of course, I'm going to be biased to my own company, but I also have some great companions in this space. Dr. Robert Silver with Hemp RX, I think he makes a yep. great product. I think Elevet, because they did yep. the Cornell did, yep. I think they're a great company. Um, there might be some funny attitude between Dr. Shum and I from Vet CBD, but he's actually got a pretty good product too. So, so long as people are not slinging mud at each other, they're willing to show certificates of analysis and those other things I talked about and making sure it's a quality product. Uh, we've got to be working together to make this a real industry um, and slinging mud isn't going to help. So yes, there are some other companies. Um, I would go Phyto Animal Health, I'd go Elevet, and um, I would go Hemp RX. I would say those are my top three. That's fantastic. And I appreciate you giving kind of a perspective of companion products because you're absolutely right. We know that there is no one product that works perfectly for every patient every time. And so understanding that different options are available as somebody who has seen a huge change in her own personal pet. I'm very grateful that this is a market that you have explored and made available because, um, you know, I'm a pet parent first and I've seen amazing changes. So um, thank you for giving us those tools for us to be able to have this conversation with our clients for us to be able to understand and start to break down the myths and understand the laws so we can advocate in a way for our patients because that's what we're here to do. Well, you've heard what we have to say. Now we want to hear from you. What do you think about CBD usage in veterinary patients? And are you using it and seeing results? If not, why not? Let's talk about it. We want to hear from you. And I wonder if you have stories like I do where you have clients coming in asking questions about these products. Have you felt like you know what to do or not? Are there resources that you're using that we haven't listed here in this podcast? Please feel free to get on social media, on Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder, Instagram at Veterinary Viewfinder, and let us know. We'd also love to get a review from you guys reach out to us on iTunes and let other people know how you're finding the podcast so they can find it too. I think my favorite joke so far is how do sharks get high? I don't know. Reefer. The veterinary viewfinder. It's good. Until next time, be sure to check out phytoanimalhealth.com and keep token. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>